That's hundred. So this is another episode of Monday Night Take. I brought a very good friend of mine on for this episode. We're going to be talking to you guys about, you know, the fundamentals of things in the stock market when we take a look at individual companies. You know, this brother right here is someone that we, me and him, we go way back the past couple of years. Um, we had a lot of clubhouse rooms together when clubhouse first got started. We connected and we actually met in real life in Miami, had a good time down there really built on a relationship from there but everything that me and him have always done has always been insightful definitely unscripted you, you we don't even need a script you know so you guys are going to be taken tonight into some of the phone calls that me and this gentleman have had you know samir he's a very accomplished individual and you know i said one thing you know as far as me and him being the two youngest in charge and you know samir you know me and him are we're in the same age bracket um, we've accomplished a lot of things at a very young age, um, and it's, it's something for us to be proud of. And we look forward to pushing, you know, other young individuals around our age into these spaces of investing and understanding financials. So, you know, we have none other than my brother, Samir. He has a great pro podcast called The More We Know, right? Because the more we know collectively together, the better that we can do. And so, Samir, you know, tell them a little bit about yourself, brother, and we're going to go ahead and get into the show. Go ahead and unmute yourself, bro. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Can you guys hear me now? Yes, sir. What's going on, everybody? Lauren, thank you so much for the uh, introduction. It's uh, it's always just, you know, great being around you, being around the energy and just, uh, you know, learning from you as well, too, bro. But yeah, to Lawrence's point, him and I go way back. We're, we're really good friends. You know, we went to Miami together. Um, we've, we've really just been kind of growing together and, and, and helping each other in the process. And like now we've been on this journey of investing and, you know, I've seen Lawrence been posting about it and stuff. And look, it's uh. It's an environment now that is really testing people to the next level. Like this, this, this now is telling people, you know, these markets are are changing and they're changing in ways that we haven't seen before. And, you know, for the first time, people are starting to get scared and 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 it's not as easy as what people thought. And, you know, things are changing. So I'm I'm excited for the discussion to get into it, keep it real and keep it, you know, honest. And I think Lawrence, they're going to, because it's my first time doing streamer, they'll post in the chat next door. Yep, they'll post in the chat next door and we'll be able to see that right there. So we'll be able to follow along. Yes, sir. So, Absolutely. so Samir, um, you know, first question I'm going to throw to you is, you know, what does it mean for you when it comes to fundamentals, right? Um, what does it mean to you when it comes to fundamental analysis? Um, me and you, we've had conversations in the past, you know, about you know, different businesses being overvalued. You know, you were one of the people that was me and you, we were consistently having phone calls like, hey, in 2020 and 2021, we were taking a look at certain businesses and we were like, yo, you know, this business is extremely overvalued and eventually valuations catch up. So can you touch on that as we dive deeper? Yeah, absolutely, guys. So look, I, uh, you know, there's a reason I host a podcast called The More We Know Podcast. So for those who don't know, if you type in the more we know podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify, or Instagram, you'll find my page, Samir Dotsawak, and you'll see the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. If you notice it, I talk to a lot of high level accomplished individuals like the mayor of Miami, the founder of Reebok, and I bring these mentors on every single month 
because business and life and all this stuff is complicated and I'm trying to uncomplicate it. And so when you think of fundamentals, I, I, I only say all that to say this, to say, look, fundamental analysis, it sounds like the most complex thing ever, right? Like it sounds like this idea of, you know, understanding businesses and, you know, if a business is profitable and what do all these terms mean? But I think fundamental analysis starts really with your fundamental understanding of a business. So I think when I think fundamentals, I think of like your day to day, right? Like you guys should be evaluating and doing like a uh, analysis on your life on what you use. So if I'm, if I'm someone that goes to Starbucks often, if I'm someone that, you know, uses Procter and Gamble products a lot, if I'm someone that, you know, uses my iPhone and uses all the Apple products, if I'm someone that's big into gambling and I use DraftKings and all these different things is how you should look at fundamental analysis first. So I'll give you guys a prime example. When you look at a company like Starbucks, you know, how many times do you go to Starbucks a week? How many times when you go to Starbucks do you see a line? How has Starbucks weathered storms? How has Starbucks innovated? How long has Starbucks been around? All these things are fundamental parts of the business. How long has a business been around? What's their value add? What's their experience? You know, how can they pivot in times of distress? These are all part of fundamentals. And I'm generalizing it because everything I'm saying relates to actual fundamentals like understanding price to equity, understanding price to book, understanding cash flows, understanding balance sheet. But before you get into any of those, your fundamental starts with your actual life and how you look at a business. And I, and I, I dumb it down like that because it really is it really is like that. Yeah, because, you know, I think a lot of times when people get into this space, you know, they take a look and, you know, they, they look at a lot of the numbers and a lot of the vocabulary. And a lot of times it throws people off, right? It just sounds like, oh, man, you know, you got PE ratios, you got price to book, you got all these different metrics in which investors are evaluating, you know, different companies, and it can kind of go right over people's heads. So one message that I was talking with people about over the past couple of weeks, and, you know, I signaled to people last year, I said, yo, we have a lot of companies that have, you know, a high PE ratio, right? Price to earnings. And so what did we mean by that when it's, when we say price to earnings? Well, you had a lot of companies with a high price, but the earnings were starting to be lackluster, right? And the amount of money that companies were making in 2021 and 2020, you know, you saw that pretty much fall off the wayside this year. And, you know, you've seen huge contractions in companies like Roku, for example, Samir, Square, right? Teladoc. Um, you take a look at things like Unity. Um, all across the board, you're seeing companies decline, you know, very, very hard. What do you tell investors, you know, who are investing in some of these growth stocks right now as we're starting to hit the end of 2022 going into 2023? You know, what was some things that fundamentally went wrong with some of these businesses that you kind of seen? Because um, me and you, were, we were talking about this two years ago, that there was something that was going to end up happening. And here we are. So what were what what did you kind of see? Look, I think when you go through an environment of free money, you go through this environment where like everyone has access to money. It's so cheap. It's, uh, you know, anything. These companies get really excited and start spending in places that they probably shouldn't be spending in. Right. And, you know, you look at these companies that you mentioned, like Roku and, you know, Fubo and all these companies. A lot of these companies you're mentioning have a lot of growth. Like these have grown year over year with users. They've become exciting. They're becoming all types of stuff. But Unfortunately, you know, as the Fed has had to raise rates, you've started to expose the really good businesses versus the bad businesses. A lot of these growth companies that are super exciting, 
might not be able to survive because they're not profitable. And this goes back to your fundamental understanding of a business. For a business to survive, at the end of the day, it has to be profitable. And if you're not profitable as a business, you're not going to survive as a business. Now, with growth companies, the fundamental argument is you are okay with sacrificing profitability for the first X amount of years because they're growing for a reason. They're called a growth company because one day they will be profitable. They're in the growing stage now. They're not in the maturity stage, right? And so when you have that, that's good. But the problem is if you're burning through cash and then we're in a time right now where the Fed is purposefully trying to slow down the economy. I know it sounds crazy, but the Fed is purposely trying to slow down the economy because they want to curb inflation. And one way to curb it is to chill out spending. And they have to do that, right? Um, So unfortunately, how exciting Roku was, how exciting these companies are, they're not profitable. And I would actually argue now that for a lot of those names that you are thinking about that you were excited about, this is probably, and this is not investment advice, but this is probably the time I would start dipping into these names, right? Like when Roku is down 70 to 80% and you know you start diving into the fundamentals, there could be potentially a story there. When I look at companies like PayPal or Fruit, like, and PayPal is actually profitable, by the way, so I won't even include them. But when I look at companies like you know, Square and, you know, even even Kathy Wood's ETFs now, right? Like, I don't think they were a buy when they were up maybe 100 or 200%. Down 70, this could be a time potentially where you start entering. Um, so that's sort of my, like, spiel on growth and, and what that looks like. I don't know if you want to follow up on that, Lawrence, but that's kind of like my my take on it. Yeah, not 100%. So, you know, I, we pretty much, I told people last year that I was going to short the ARK ETF to 60 bucks when it was at 120. I told people that it was a spoiler, that this thing would come down to 60. And here we are years in, this thing is at $30. Um, anytime you see parabolic growth in any sector of the market, you're always going to, you're always going to probably see at least some, some sort of pullback, right? Whether it's a sharp one or a small one, you're going to see some sort of pullback. And so the cost of borrowing money has increased at a at a at a at a high pace, right? The fastest that we've seen the Fed raise rates from zero all the way to four point five is I mean it's just crazy how fast interest rates you know have went up. Um, and you know people you know are taking a look at this right now, and a lot of the businesses are being decapitated. So the goal of the Fed is to literally slow down the economy. You know, inflation was super, super high and inflation was hitting levels that we hadn't seen since the 80s. Right. And so these growth companies, like Samir said, you know, when you're a growth company, you defer your earnings. Right. You defer your earnings until years later. And so as a growth company, you know, I tell people that, you know, the companies right now that have seen the 70 and 80 percent declines. They're actually the businesses that might make the most sense, right? They're starting to come back into true healthy valuations. And so what I was explaining to people earlier was, you know, overall, when you see a stock price go up parabolic, but the earnings decline or stay the same, the PE ratio becomes more expensive, right? But what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of stocks where their price is coming down, but their earnings are actually increasing. So you have to pay attention to where those companies are at, right? You have to ask yourself, is NVIDIA going out of business? Is AMD going out of business? I've seen someone come in here and talk about Tesla. Is Tesla going out of business? Are you seeing less Tesla cars on the road right now? Are less Teslas being produced at these gigafactories? The answer to that is no. There's actually more Teslas being produced right now more than ever. Now, if you were looking at the stock price, you couldn't tell. That's why I always tell people that, you know, the economy and the stock market 
you know, they move at two at two different paces. The stock market will recover before the economy recovers. That's just the bottom line of reality and how it's always been. And so for me, my fundamental metrics are one, paying attention to market cap. You've seen a lot of market caps really get slashed hard this year, but also paying attention to those PE ratios as well, too. So now the businesses that Samir is talking about, you also have what is called a current PE, but then you also have something which is called a forward PE, right? Forward PE is important for people to pay attention to because if you don't have earnings right now, you have a forward PE because you're actually starting to list what you expect to happen in the future, what the company hopes or expects to earn in the future. And so that's also another metric that investors like to use um, when companies don't have earnings, they like to use a future or a forward PE. So mm -hmm. for me right now, you're like the tech space is, you know, one of those spaces where you've gotten slapped up, but you have to really figure out and take a look and say, yo, is cybersecurity, does it still matter? Yes, it does. All of these electric vehicles, does it still matter? Charging stations, is it still going to matter to the economy? So you know, things got super ahead of themselves so quickly. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just kind of the name of the game. Things are going to contract. So, you know, speaking about, um, you know, Tesla here, what's your what's your take on Tesla, Samir? What, what do you think about what's been happening with uh, overall, you know, Elon Twitter takeover and then put, uh, looks here to potentially be stepping down? It looks like based on Tesla. Yeah. yeah, look, I think uh, it's 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 interesting when you look at it, right? Like, Tesla is one of those companies that we all know is one of the legendary companies. Like Tesla was a classic like pivot story. Like Tesla was one of those companies that came out and you know they they changed they changed the game. And I'm a huge advocate. I'm a huge believer in Tesla. Um, having said that, you know there are some general issues with Tesla going on now, which is their leadership, right? Like when you have Elon that came in and took on. Uh, uh, took on Twitter. He also took on a lot of responsibility and also took on a lot of backlash. So the reason Tesla is down right now, and to give you guys some context, Tesla is down its biggest drawdown in history, which is almost 65%. I'll have to go and see where it is today. I don't know where it closed, 150 or 148 or something. But you know, in, since IPO, even though like the stock price is still a lot higher than it was since IPO, this is their biggest drawdown ever. And when you have a large historic drawdown like this, there's something wrong with the business. Otherwise, investors wouldn't just sell, sell, sell. The thing is, in this interesting situation is I actually don't think there's anything wrong with the Tesla business. I actually think to Lawrence's point there, like superchargers are being built out, a lot of pre-orders for the pickup trucks. Like there's so many things Tesla's doing right that I think from a business standpoint, they're actually probably way better off. And if you just look at their forward PE and you look at their fundamentals, they're extremely cheap here. The problem is, is value is a two-sided trap. Elon is known as a character and Elon is, is a, a, a risk. Elon is like a risk, but also like a blessing for Tesla. So it's like it's like two ways with Elon. Like, what do you do and what do you decide as leadership? For me, I think for the first time ever, this is a huge opportunity in Tesla that we haven't seen before. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if this drops to 120, 115. You know, th those numbers are possible. Um, or even, you know, if markets really draw down, I could see Tesla go to 100. But it's almost generally now that a lot of that stuff is baked in. And, you know, the catalyst for me is Elon just recently said that he's going to, you know, abide by a Twitter poll about if he's going to step down from Twitter CEO. And it looks like people are generally in the favor of him stepping down and him hiring an outside CEO. I think that'd be a huge catalyst for Tesla. So I like Tesla. I think they're innovative. I think they're the future. You know, to go from a trillion dollar market cap to now where it's at, which is like 400, 300 billion, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. 
and uh, I'm a big fan of the company. Same here as well. Um, you know, I see someone just commented, I've learned a short uh, Tesla thanks to BWS. So I have been, I did uh, put out a short signal about around 313 on Tesla back then. And then as it broke through 250, um, you know, I was calling for Tesla to come back down here just based upon the charts, you know, at the time had no idea, you know, what Elon would be doing to be completely honest with you. And, um, you know, it's kind of just played out. A lot of people said I was crazy for saying that Tesla would come to 160. But here we are at the end of the year and Tesla's at 160. Um, so a lot of that had to deal with technical analysis. But, um, you know, we know that the charts and the news and the fundamentals all wrap together. Um, and I think that ultimately the Tesla short has been one of the greatest trades this year. Um, but I would not be the person that continues to short Tesla. Um, you don't want to be that person, in my opinion. Um, you don't want to get caught short in this thing for too long. Notoriously, Tesla did lose uh, short sellers about $40 billion, which was a record for short sellers to lose in 2020. Um, so that's just a testament to how far this company has really came and, you know, the odds that were stacked up against it. Um, so, yes, yeah, Amir, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you 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 know, I wanted you to touch on a little bit of your background, the space that you're working in and kind of some insight of where you see um, that space going in the future. Yeah, so I'm in the fintech space now. And, you know, in the fintech space, you know, our whole work is on automation and how you can personalize, like, you know, not only investments, but personalized stuff for, for clients. And I think the world is generally going towards a trend now of like extreme, like personalization of, you know, your investments, but your life, like you customize your Spotify playlist, you customize your Starbucks order. So the question becomes, why can't we customize our investments? And so, you know, when I look at the future of fintech, there's a couple of things I look. It's like, how can we, uh, as people that are, you know, the average investor, democratize the high net worth access? So how can like everyday investors get access to, you know, products that only high net worth people would get? On top of that, how do everyday investors get the same diversity or the same inclusion that high net worth investors get? So I think in the next 10 years, it will become way easier as an average person who's not an accredited investor to make money. Um, and when I say make money, I just mean to invest in asset classes that traditionally people weren't allowed to invest in. And so private equity and venture capital and where that's all going is we're going to hopefully democratize access to everybody. I think that's a winning future of where people are headed. Um, but automation is going to be big, right? So like that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a, a big part of it. And on top of being a big part of automation, it's like investors getting more say in what they, in what they want to invest in. See, I think like the whole idea of ETFs is, is amazing and all this stuff is cool, but you know, as an investor, wouldn't it be cooler to really like hyper-personalize that? So there's, there's a lot of where it's going. And I think companies like Robinhood are actually taking charge in it. Like, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but one thing that I thought was pretty cool that Robinhood is doing is recently they announced they're going to do a 1% match on your, on your IRA. So for everyone listening to this, um, and I just did a video about this. If you want to go type in the More We Know podcast on like TikTok or Instagram or my name Samir.Sawakid, you'll see it or we can put it in the chat. I just talked about it. But Robinhood is doing a 1% match on an IRA. The reason that's a big deal is if you, you know, I'm sure a lot of people here that we have 300 people in here have, you know, work full time and they have their 401k through their employer. Cool. When you get a 401k through your employer, a lot of times you get what you call an employee match. So let's say I have a 401k and then I get a 6% match from my employer. So basically X amount of dollars I contribute will allow me to get a match from my employer. And, you know, Robinhood is saying, hey, we've like democratized commission-free trading. We've done all this. We'll give you a 1% match for free if you open up an IRA. The reason that's a big deal is because a lot of people are like doing gig work now. People might be doing Uber. People might be doing solo entrepreneurship. So they don't get the same benefit as a 401k employer. So Robinhood's now going after your retirement dollars to say, hey, 
for an IRA, the max you can contribute is about $6,000 a year. So 1%, that means you're getting $60 a year over 10 years. It doesn't seem like a lot because that's only 600 bucks. But over your lifespan with compounding and assuming a 7 to 9% annual return, that can end up being 20, 30,000. The reason that's good now is now you're getting some money match for your IRA. So I think the future is this continued access to like making investing easy for everybody. Yeah, no, I think that's powerful because you mentioned something that was super important. Like a lot of people are are doing contract work or, or gig work. And um, you take a look at some of the metrics here. You know, a lot of people are transitioning to gig work and, um, you know, returning into a gig economy. And so we went through the great um, resignation last year with a lot of people left their jobs. And I think you're bringing up a great point. So I'm really excited to see what happens in the financial tech space. Um, I think it's a growing industry, obviously. So there's going to be some kinks that worked out, you know, some companies that fail, some companies that succeed. But I think long term, you know, this is a space that, you know, can really open things up. And you mentioned a great point as well about Robinhood. Robinhood really changed the game when it came to trading commissions. Now, we know we gotten they've gotten some flat with other things, but you you can't help but, you know, take a look at Robinhood and talk about how much how they disrupted the overall stock market space. It was super, 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 you know, disruptive. And I think it helped a lot. I think it exposed a lot of people, um, the easiness of use to be able to open up brokerage accounts and the the less trading commissions. Cause you take a look, you know, you take a look at uh E-Trade and TD Ameritrade, what they were charging per trade, um, you know, for an options trade or regular stock trade, you know, before Robinhood and you're sitting back like, man, it was charging, you know, some, eight dollars ten dollars fifteen twenty dollars you know some brokers so you know the commissions definitely have changed so you know definitely wanted to put that out there so you know we're kind of going to transition here make sure you guys are, are sharing this video liking this video man we definitely want to get these numbers up we appreciate you tapping in here to monday night take uh, we got our brother samir uh, make sure you guys follow his podcast the more we know um he's had a lot of influential guests on there the mayor of miami dave metzler so a lot of different people that have tapped onto that podcast and really spit some game. So, um, Samir, you know, when we when we talk now, right, when we talk now about the three indices, right, we break these three, three things down, the Dow, the S&P 500, and then the NASDAQ. Um, you know, the Dow is down the least this year, then followed by the S&P, and then obviously the NASDAQ is down the most this year. Uh, when taking a look at this, um, what are some companies that, you know, you're kind of looking at right now that you think pose a great opportunity from a risk to reward standpoint for an, for as an investor? Um, and, or what are some fundamental companies that you're fundamentals that you're looking at on certain companies that kind of like are starting to make sense? Like sure. what's what's your process of going and kind of finding and vetting out companies? What's your process on that? Sure. So, you know, full disclosure, of course. Just for me, nothing here said is investment advice. It's all educational purposes. I just have to give that disclosure. Everyone should always do their own due diligence research and or speak to an advisor. Having said that, from just an educational perspective, I always look for discounts, right? So I look for just like I go this holiday season for Christmas, I'm looking for clearance items, looking for discounts on, on stuff to buy. Similarly, is the same way I'll shop in the market. So when I think of some companies, I'll give you guys some examples. So I look at a company like Facebook, aka Meta now, which is down, you know, about 70 something percent drawdown. I think today was 115 or 116, but you know, Facebook got almost 400 bucks. So I look for companies that have a strong fundamental case and are down enough to the point that, hey, the question becomes, is the risk almost de-risked? Now, having said that, 
there's no such thing as de-risk because at any time a company could go under. Look at FTX. Like that's from all these billions. Tom Brady lost all this money. Like I could talk about the FTX situation all day. So having said that, like don't think it's sweet out here. Like you can still lose in any company, no matter how credible or how big or how bad amazing the investors are behind that. But you know, when you diversify, you try to hedge a lot of that. But anyway, look at, for example, so we look at Tom Brady and, uh, or sorry, we look at Facebook. I still think the business case, when I look at the business, everyone's using WhatsApp, everyone's using Instagram. Like everyone's still communicating on these two platforms. WhatsApp is like the number one international form of communication worldwide. Instagram still, despite TikTok hammering down Meta, Instagram has always shown their ability to pivot. Like even when Snapchat, Instagram wiped out a lot of the user base from Snapchat with the stories. And like, there's always this disruption factor of Facebook. Yeah, they're overspending in the VR, but I almost look at it and say, hey, if Zuckerberg can hit on this disruption of what VR and what metaverse means, there's a lot of potential here for this company long-term. And then I go, oh shit, if like he starts to execute on these goals, Facebook looks freaking cheap. And that's aside from the fact that it's already trading only at like seven to 10 times price to earnings. Right. So then I look at companies like PayPal that are down 70%. Like I like PayPal. I like Facebook. I like Amazon. I like Google. I like Apple. Like I like, I like the big companies that are great companies that are just down. Like there's companies that are just down with the market. So like there's, 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 there's companies like Facebook that are down 70% that are down for more than just the market. Like there's a fundamental problem. Whenever you're down more than 50%, a lot of times in the market is trailing. There, chances are there's something wrong with the business. Like with Tesla, there's clearly a leadership problem right now. And I'm not getting political. I'm not speaking about Elon. I like Elon, but I'm just saying there's clearly like a leadership gap there. Um, when I look at Netflix and Facebook, all these companies, Netflix was going through a, a huge headwind. But I look at a company like Apple or Amazon that's down, like Amazon's down over 50% or Apple's down like 20 or 30%. Sometimes these companies are down because the broader markets are down. Like to be honest, the reason that the Dow is still holding in the 30s is Apple is one of the main reasons that we're still holding up. Um, so I look at companies like Apple and say, whoa, there's a good opportunity here because it's down probably just because the markets are down and Apple last time I checked is still the dominant force. So those are, you know, two ways I look at it. Like one is you want to find companies that are down just because the markets are down, not because of the business. And two, you want to find companies that are down almost too aggressively to the point where you start saying, hang on here. They're still profitable. They still make my checklist. There's still a future here. Let me invest in them now because I wanted them a year ago when they were at a 52-week high. Not much has changed in the last 12 months. Let me start dipping my toes. Yeah, you hit on an important point because a lot of people were saying, well, man, this stock is so expensive at this price. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And you know, now the the price of that, the price of the certain investments that people were looking to make are down 50, 60, 70%. Okay. So it's like, yo, now you really have no excuse. You have no excuse at all why you're not looking to invest in some of the things you wanted to a year or two ago not only from a price perspective but also from a value perspective because just because the stock price declined doesn't mean that the value of that company uh declined so i wanted to share you know something here real quick um share my screen and um pretty much go through a couple of things here and go here oh, perfect so if we take a look here, I want to go to uh, right here, pretty much come over. And I wanted to take a look at a couple of different businesses, you know, that were actually on my target acquisition, um, some which I do own full disclosure, which this one I do own, um, Snowflake. Uh, shout out to Uncle Charles. I know he's tapped in here. We take a look at the statistics tab. And, um, you know, Snowflake was one I already knew about, but Uncle Charles kind of reminded me you know, about this particular business. You know, one thing that I do like about Snowflake, um, Snowflake right now currently has about 3.94 billion in cash, most recent quarter, MRQ stands for most recent quarter. 
and total debt of only 254 million, which is super, super solid. The debt was actually um, actually at 580 million um, just a couple of weeks ago, but Salesforce, I mean, not Salesforce, um, Snowflake actually, and Salesforce is another one that I'm, that's the reason why I came out of my mouth. Um, but when you take a look at Snowflake, um, they actually pay down some of their debt. So in this high interest rate environment, it's actually very good for me to see, you know, them paying down their debt. I really like that um, 100%. Um, so you take a look here, you know, it has a market cap of about 44 billion. Uh, 52 week high was actually uh, 362. So this is one of those those names that, you know, have came down and it looks, you know, it's coming down and it looks attractive to me right now. Some of the estimates this year um, going into 2023 is that Snowflake actually uh, ends up posting profit uh, for the full uh, year of 2023. The average estimate is about 22 cent for the full year of 2023. And then it, and you see some increase in those estimates in 2024. So when you take a look, let's go ahead and come back here to this home page. Oops. And let's take a look at the company profile. So this is a software application company. So you have your founders here and your CEO. So you can take a look and do some research on those individuals. But to kind of give you guys some, some background, Snowflake provides a cloud-based data platform in the United States and internationally. The company uh, platform offers data cloud, which enables customers to consolidate data into a single source of truth to drive meaningful of business insights and build data-driven applications to share data. It's a platform that is used by various organizations of sizes and range of different industries. Um, this company was actually founded um, and incorporated in 2012, um, and then they actually changed their name in April 2019. So the company is fairly new to the market. It hasn't been traded on the market very long, um, not even five years. So, um, you know, for me, this is one name that, you know, I kind of find interesting, you know, as the markets have came down, and you know it really makes me take a look and say hmm it's super 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 attractive now before we go further i want to samir you actually mentioned something that um, actually made headlines which is the arc etf right so if you take a look at the arc etf and if we're looking at things from a from a technical standpoint right the arc you talked about it earlier you know it, was, it, it went up from you know the pandemic low of 30 bucks this thing shot all the way to 160. And, you know, I was speaking on the show last week. You know, I was I, I pretty much taught them this and they should already know this. But if they don't accumulation phase, public participation, distribution, those are the three market phases. So ARC went through an accumulation phase pretty much from 2016 all the way here to 2020 and went through public participation where everyone was buying everything Kathy Wood said everything Kathy Woods had in this ETF was moving up and was a game was a game changer was a game changer right and then it ended up going into a distribution phase well look where arc is at today at 32 right it's actually breaking right now below this level that I have here so I actually need to add some new levels right and you guys can follow along I'm gonna add some new levels on this thing right so arc definitely looks like it wants to come down lower um you know you could definitely see this thing you know come down and actually if it gets underneath which it looks like here 
it's going to 28 and then after that it's probably going to go to 22 but you're talking about levels that haven't been seen since 2016 right so you have stocks that are breaking below you know key levels right and also etfs that are breaking below key levels so i wanted to highlight that and show that as well here too now you mentioned the name amazon and we're going to go to a different name after but amazon actually closed at a 52 week low today right and let's go ahead and take a look at the chart before we take a look at the fundamentals here and if you're follow along guys you'll notice that these themes are are common right so right now amazon it actually touched 84 here this is a level that amazon hadn't been at since october of 2019 excuse me actually 2020 um but really it hadn't really been here since 2019 we noticed it's super fast but you're looking at now amazon is gonna probably get down here to at least 65 right and you guys need to write these numbers down because we're giving you guys this information before it's going to happen right we're telling you guys where price is going based upon the chart the fundamentals are going to be the part that comes in and helps assist now amazon has a p ratio of 77 trailing 12 months right so the ttm the trailing 12 months the past year right the past year so let's go ahead and take a look at these statistics and let's see what amazon looks like here well let's see how much cash compared to debt they have well this is this is the problem right now most recent quarter amazon has about 58 billion in cash most recent quarter total debt has 164 billion now we know amazon prints cash unlike most companies but this is where you know this is really where you you kind of run into trouble i'm gonna be real with you this is where amazon runs into trouble you know when you overspend and when you have a lot of employees whether they were seasonal or not when you overspend and now you've racked up a lot of debt in a higher interest rate economy it can start to put pressure on your margins now where does that pressure get felt now we want to talk about a couple other terms your net income so your net income is how much not that uh ceo takes home or the employees take home is how much the company actually takes home at the end of the year right so the trailing 12 months they've had a net income of 11.3 billion dollars now the ebitda earnings before taxes and depreciation they've had 51 billion now gross profit of about 197 billion now the return on equity i want you guys to really pay attention to this return on equity because this is where a lot of people is getting clapped return on equity is how much money is returned to you as a shareholder now we're here on amazon we're going to come back to this in a second but say uh, uh we had samir he went ahead and talked about DraftKings. i'm going to show you why DraftKings is in the toilet bowl right DraftKings fell 52 week range and went from 30 dollars right but we know this thing was a lot higher if you look back even a year even uh the past five year chart this thing had a top out of 61. well let's come here you're going to take a look and you're going to see what the return on equity is return on equity of negative 89%. So they are losing shareholders money. They're not responsible with shareholders money, right? Not responsible with shareholders money at all. Negative $1.46 billion in net income, right? So for people wondering, well, why is Uber, you know, I can get an Uber for myself, but why isn't Uber actually making money? Let's, let's take a look at that. Let's compare this. This is why these investments have went nowhere since they've IPO. Well, Uber has a return on equity of negative 81.71%. And they've also lost almost $10 billion in the past year. Lost. 
So when people are wondering, well, why are certain stock prices moving down, but other stock prices like Apple, why is Apple able to stay up? Well, it's not just because Apple's the most valuable company in the world. That's part of it. But also you have to take a look at, okay, well, let's take a look at how much money they're returning to their shareholders. 175%, right? 175%, right? Net income of $99.8 This is why you can get away with the most recent quarter uh, cash to debt that you have, right? You can get away with having $130 billion in debt, right? Versus only having about $50 billion in cash when you have a EBITDA of $130 billion and $99 billion in net income, and you're returning equity to your shareholders of 175%. So these are some things that I'm taking a look at with certain companies and asking myself, you know, where are these businesses kind of lining themselves at? After this company, we're going back to Amazon, right? Okta, this has been another company um, that's been on my eyes, full disclosure. I do not own this company yet, but I'm looking to maybe potentially establish the position if possible. Um, so the company profile, this is another one. Notice where I'm going with it, software, software infrastructure. Right? Why is software and inf infrastructure so important to me in the in the in the future? I think it's super, 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 super important because everything is going digital, right? Everything is going digital, whether it's products and services, whether it's your whether you know you're talking about online banking, whether you're talking about cryptocurrency. Like I'm the believer that you're gonna you already have smart cities, whether you know it or not. Things are gonna be ran off of solar energy, you know, clean air. All this stuff takes cybersecurity and software, cloud management, all of this stuff. So you take a look at the description here. You know, these are the things that they do. Secure APIs, access gateway, identity cloud, you know, protection, machine to machine uh, programming, organizations, IT. All of this stuff is super important. And this is, these are the things that they specialize in. Solutions for enterprises and small and medium sized businesses, universities, nonprofit, government agencies in the United States and internationally. Now, we want to come back here. We want to see you'll come here and take a look and you'll say, OK, well, where has Okta been? Well, at the peak in 2020, this thing had, um, you know, a high of, of $275 a share. So this thing is down and it, it falls into that category, like Samir said. So I want to I want to peel things back and take a look and, and see what's happening here. You know, this net income has to get a little bit better for me. Definitely the, the cash to debt isn't horrible. They have enough cash to pay off the, all their debt if they wanted to today. The net income is almost about a billion dollars in loss. Return on equity is only negative 15%. That's not horrible, but they need to work on these profit and operating margins. Super, super, super important. And your profit and your operating margins are important because it's the cost of doing business, right? How much does it cost you to operate the business that you currently run, right? That's super important. And in a high interest rate, high inflation environment, you know, it puts pressure, you know, on these companies. So, you know, super, super, super important. And we're going to take a look at Amazon and I'm going to throw it back to my brother to get some commentary as well here too. Now you take a look at, you know, you take a look at Amazon. We come here. This is a stock that, you know, is carrying a little bit of, of, of debt earnings. Haven't been the best for Amazon the past few quarters. Um, I think Q4, uh, maybe, they, maybe they'll rebound a little bit because of holiday spending. We'll have to see. Um, but it's going to be very imperative, guys, that Amazon really figures things out. Let's take a look at the analysis tab here. You know, what's some of the expectations? Well, here we are. Um, you know, the current year, um, you know, you take a look at its year ago EPS, right? Um, it kind of where they were at uh, for the current uh, last year. 
It did three dollars and twenty four cent a share. Um, you take a look at next year. Um, you know they're actually it's pro projected to actually do better. Um, average estimate of one point six seven. So you know Amazon seen some of their sales come down, and then they also seen their EPS come down as well too year over year. Um, a few quarters. So you know earnings growth was not the best at all, guys. Earnings growth was not the best at all, and you see that reflected here. That's why the PE ratio went up. Even though the stock price of Amazon declined this year, the PE ratio actually increased because the earnings decreased. So the PE ratio, how you calculate it is you take the price and you divide it by the earnings. So think about that. If you have a price that's declining, but the earnings is also declining, that means when you go and put that division in your calculator, that means that that PE ratio is going to be higher. So people have been selling out of Amazon at a heavy rate. And you can mark this because this is, like I said, this is my opinion, but Amazon will see 65 bucks. I'm telling you this right now. It's going to 65. Now, here's the here's what I want to remind people of. We got to go to the all-time chart for this one. Let's not pretend like there hasn't been time in history where you've seen certain stocks fall from 87% from their high like Amazon did in 01. So think about that for a second. So when some of you guys are looking at these stocks and saying, man, it just keeps falling. Understand that you might have to be in an investment. 1999 was the year I was born, right? You might have to be an investment for 10, 15 years to really get a solid return. I get it. Everyone wants this microwave run up where I can just invest in 2019 and by 2021, I'm rich. That's not the reality of investing. And I'm here to give you a wake up call tonight. A lot of people think that this investing in a market is easy. And a lot of people think trading is easy. A lot of people think the markets are easy. The markets are not easy. And the market will humble you faster than what you know. So you have to understand anytime you see this microwave kind of pop, there's always going to be some sort of re big retracement that comes. That's just how history has worked over and over again. So definitely wanted to go ahead and share that. Samir, anything to add? I think what you're doing is important, man. Like you're showing the realities of like charts and, you know, some people, there's a lot of people that argue that charts don't matter. And, you know, that's fine to have those, those thoughts and to, and to think that, but the, the important thing that you're highlighting is like, you just are using charts to basically highlight and say, Hey, this is where something could be headed. Um, overall, like a lot of these companies, like, unfortunately, I hate to say it, they've been on, they've been on tears, like Amazon over the last five years, like Fang and tech have been like the best performers. And for the first time ever, they're starting to drop and people are freaking out. But if you look year over year, a lot of these companies haven't had bad years, like even during the pandemic, like as crazy as that recession was, it was a pretty quick recession, if it was a recession. And so, you know, to Lawrence's point, if history repeats itself, it's not atypical for a company to draw back. Like even Tesla, everyone's freaking out. It's down 60%. But how much did Tesla return over the last five years? It's like crazy. And I think, you know, when you're investing, the important thing is, is as, as important as price action is, it's really important to evaluate like your action, meaning like what's the thesis for investing behind it. And as you're investing in these companies, it's important to stick to your thesis because like Warren Buffett always says, like if you buy a house today, you're not going to look at the price next week and next month. Like you might look at the house price a year from now. You might look at the house price a year and six months or maybe four years just to see where the price is on the house. But it's not like you're looking at this thing every day. So and I think that the same thing goes for when you're investing in these companies. Like if you're down already 50 or 60 percent in some strong names, it's it's hard. Like it's mentally freaking tough to stay in it and be like, you know what? I'm going to stick through this. Like it is the toughest thing. But remember, I think someone said it in the chat here. Uh, dollar cost averaging is a powerful tool 
and you need to learn how to use it. And that's why I wouldn't, you know, you never want to go all in on a position. You always want to like slowly scale into stuff. And DCA, dollar cost averaging is a powerful way to do it. So look, I'm not shocked where the markets are. I think what does shock me, like the one thing I didn't see coming is I some of the aggressive pullbacks, like it's crazy how aggressive they can be. Like when I look at a name like Carvana down like 98%, like it's, it, it can get pretty aggressive out here. And I think the nailer in the coffin was what I saw with FTX. Like FTX showed me a lot. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of, um, and I think you mentioned a good point about Car- Carvana, but a lot of businesses are getting exposed now, right? Now is really the time that you really make yourself. It's easy to do well when money's cheap and, you know, like when the opportunities kind of feel endless, but it's super, super, super tough, right? When money gets tight, it's really what shows the big players and the great and the great players, right? It's just like Tom Brady, right? When Tom Brady was down 28 to three in the Super Bowl, right? And then he came back and he won the championship. Um, and then Matt Ryan, you know, uh, feel bad for the brother. He gave up another uh, big loss this weekend, blew a big lead. But that's a different conversation for a different yeah. day. Um, and then I know Mark's watching. I know he's seen his Patriots. You know, they, they kind of messed up yesterday, too, against Oakland. That was kind of rough. But um. You know, when you take a look overall, you know, when things get tight, that's what really shows, you know, you as a winner. Right. And I think that the companies, you know, will really, really, really show out. Right. I think companies will really, really show out, um, you know, during this time. I think companies that still have growth on their earnings um, and someone just said a Carvana was a bad business model. Right. You were offering high APR loans in a in a low interest rate economy. So when interest rates go up, you know, people cannot afford, you know, those loans anymore. And then it ends up being dragged down. But so I, I will I will say, Lawrence, the one thing I will say, yeah, like that people need to understand is like to that comment there, Carvana has a bad business from the start. Number one, kudos to you for being able to identify like when a business is good versus bad. I think those are skills like everyone in here should learn. Mm-hmm. The reality that we have to realize is disruption is something key. Like Carvana didn't just magically overnight become worth the hundred billion dollar, two hundred billion dollar market cap it peaked at. I mean, it's only worth like five, six hundred million now. It's, it's when Carvana launched in the last seven years, they did create a disruptive model. So as an outside investor, when the economy was where it's at, you know, I almost have to disagree with that point because investors were saying, "Oh my gosh." People freaking hate dealing with car salesmen. People want a model that this this feels like Amazon. This feels like Amazon-like potential. Mm-hmm. And so the disruption model made Carvana actually look like a really good business. But GCG9 just brings up a great point. He, st- he identified that it was a bad business from the start. You need to be able to identify little points. Like for me... Despite seeing the hype of FTX, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the guy that sits here and BSs you. And man, I called it. I saw it coming. But what I will say is, from the jump with FTX, the one thing that was always weird to me was Sam Bankman-Fried never sat right with me. Like I've never like even when I watched him, I never like really liked the guy. Like there was something about it that was odd. But I didn't know that he was like muzzling funds from client accounts and doing that. The, the the problem is is like it's tough to identify when a business is bad from the start because I, because someone in here might've bought Carvana at a hundred bucks and they might've been like, Hey, I got this. I got Carvana got to 400 or 370 or whatever. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. It might've got to 370, 380 or maybe 400. I don't have it in front of me, but 
If it dropped from, let's say, 400 to 100, gosh, I'm getting this thing 50 or 60, 70% off, and I think the company is a cool company. Why should I be at fault? Like, don't think, like, I, I want the audience to understand, don't think of yourself as a shit person because you did stuff like that. And I like okay. uh, Mark Monroe's comment there. Mark, I'm, I'm telling you, that's one thing that I'm shocked about. Like, I, I would not be shocked to see Amazon buy Carvana because it's a similar e commerce type play. Yeah. And Carvana badly needs the cash. The question becomes, in, the, in these type of, and I'm going on like a weird rant, but the question becomes, you can be a good business. Like Carvana could actually be a good business, but they just need time to get there. That's yeah. the problem. Like, like they just might be running out of time. And and guess what's going to end up happening? If they do run out of time, someone else will end up coming in and, and being the better company. Like Vroom is the competitor to Carvana. Vroom is like a buck from like 70 or 80 bucks. Vroom is done. Bill Gates invested in Vroom. You're telling me that when Bill Gates invested in Vroom, he thought Vroom was a shit business? No. And he's probably down a shit ton of money. Same way with Coinbase. Coinbase trades at whatever like coinbase is 30 was it 35 bucks today lawrence from the like i forgot what it got to like yes, three. coinbase is one of the few stocks that i've ever seen never actually trade above its its actual initial first day ipo price yeah like, like it's it's just went down ever since it came to the market coinbase you look at you look at coinbase you look at Robinhood. even Robinhood guys Robinhood when it got down to like 20 or 25 bucks a share was trading look at the look at the data was trading at a similar market cap to what the latest round they were like the smartest money I'm talking about the smartest money in the world on Silicon Valley was investing in Robinhood at a similar market cap to what it was in the public market at, at in the 20s so so my whole point is to tell you guys don't feel bad because every freaking investor no matter how swinging they are and how amazing and how they hit so many darts have also had their fair share of failures it comes with it and it goes back. The only reason I'm giving the rant about this is because it's so tough, guys, to say like, oh, man, you know, this business was bad from the start. Hindsight is 2020. It's tough in the moment. Like, like I'm sure FTX, a lot of people got in and were like, dude, this exchange is game changer. Right. So uh, that's my uh, my take on that. Yeah. Now nah, you're 100 percent right. Anytime you have disruption and you're early, there's always room for mistakes to happen. And that's kind of the old, that's kind of this uh, what's happened always. Right where people have came up with great ideas, companies, you know, have came to either public markets and hadn't performed the best and ended up getting bought or even on a private side in the startup space, right? People, you know, are able to actually see and say, you know what, you know, this, this is a, something that we want to add to our business model. So we want to go ahead and acquire you as a company to make our business model better. Um, so I think, yeah, that's super, super, super duper important. Um, I kind of wanted to uh, go ahead. We're going to go ahead and close things up here uh, within the next couple of minutes, but I wanted to uh, go ahead and give my, you know, five, uh, I guess my five companies that I'm targeting the most. Right. Um, and I kind of wanted to actually share my screen uh, to kind of give this information. So let me share my screen here. So we had Amazon that was up here before. So these are pretty much going to be my top picks um, for 2023, top picks for 2023. So these are the top things that I'm looking at. So one is TQQQ. It's a three times levered ETF of the QQQ, which is our NASDAQ. Um, first thing foremost, write, th write this stuff now. TQQQ will go to 11 to $12. Listen to me now, 11 to $12. The TQQQ looks like price is getting ready to head there. Right now we have a big, what we call a big bear flag. So this is our pole and this is our flag. Once price gets below 16, right? $16 is going to come down to probably about 11 to $13. Notice where the market has bottomed each of the last two big pullbacks from 2018. And also here at 2020, the T triple Q actually hit seven bucks. 
So any extreme case scenario, the TQQQ can hit $7. I also have a level that I want to give out on the NASDAQ, which is 8,754. I believe that the NASDAQ will hit that in Q1 of 2023. So these are just my predictions, right? So you take a look here next. I'm also looking for the QQQ, regular QQQ to come down here to 237. What needs to happen for that to happen? Let's go here to the monthly time frame. Right. We actually need to go ahead and see price actually get below this yearly low. We had what is called a bullish pin bar candle uh, right here on the monthly time frame. And we made what lower lows and lower highs all year in 2022. And I expect that to continue. And I expect us to hit 237 here, which is also the top of February 2020. That was the original all time high. So I think that we'll find ourselves going there, folks, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, so, yeah, 8,754 points, uh, 56 points, excuse me, for where the NASDAQ is going. So a couple other um, and I gave you I talked about Snowflake already, but I want to talk about a couple other names. Uh, Qcom, which is Qualicom, um, doesn't get a bunch of love, but it's definitely a name that I'm looking to target. Um, it's made lower lows and lower highs pretty much all year. I want to see this thing go sub actually 100 here, actually in the early time. Um, they'll have earnings, which will come in January. So no worries on that. But I'm looking for this thing to come back to about 96 bucks. Um, and I'll tell you guys about my strategy to acquire shares of this by selling puts at a later date. So that's Qualicom. That is a number one. That is, um, I won't say number one, but one of the investments that I'm looking at. Obviously, Tesla. Now, you guys know that I told you back here at 313 that Tesla was coming to 160. People said I was crazy, but guess guess what? The crazy man's here today, and Tesla's at 149. So I guess I'm not too crazy after all. But next up, Tesla, I think Samir said at 115, right? It's perfect. 115 is perfect. This thing's probably going to get cheaper. It's going to come down here to at least 127 and make its way to at least 115. And the event that it gets below 115, it has a gap to $92. So you're talking about $90. Um, at that point, that is 363 was the level that it bounced at when Elon did his stuff um, here in 2020. Um, he did his stuff here and um, it came back down to 363. Um, excuse me, that's not 363. Excuse me, 363 is up here actually at um, actually around the 120 range. Um, this point would actually be 270 if it makes it to 90 because 90 times three is 270. Right. So you're taking a look at this Tesla right now, guys. I'm telling you this. I don't know about 92, um, but I can tell you that Tesla is going to 127. And I told you guys that last week, if you're following me on Twitter as well as the TQQ, I gave you guys these numbers. So what I want people to understand. Right. I'm not a magician here. I'm not somebody that's just super special. I just know how to read charts and that's all that's just there to it. The monthly time frame is super important. Tesla was in accumulation phase for seven years. It went seven years. Listen to what I'm telling you. Please listen. It was in an accumulation phase for seven years. It went into a public participation phase for three years. It is now in a distribution phase. So understand that price could even come down here to $90, $60. 
These are things that are on the table because of where it's at now. So understand that. Understand what market, what part of the market phase that this stock is in. It is in a distribution. Sellers have taken over. All right. So I'm also going to talk about a couple other a couple other investments as well. Meta platforms. This was one of the worst performing S&P 500 stocks. Right now, you take a look at this. Right, you take a look at this. Same thing. Let me have my lines here. So uh, we actually bounced here at uh, 88. Right, right here at 87, 88. Notice that this was the same level we bounced at in 2016. So the levels are repetitive. Right, in the event that we make it below 100 again, you know the levels, right? You got a level here at 97, then 87. After that, 74. So that's what you want to take a look at for meta platforms. Um, if you're someone that's bullish on this space long term, you may be the person that say, hey, I like the communication sector of the market, but I don't want just individual exposure to Google and and um, Meta. Right. XLC is an ETF that holds both Google and Meta. These are the top two stocks in this ETF. So when you're taking a look at the XLC, right, prices actually came down here on the XLC. Um, I'm looking at this thing at 40. 40 is, is the level for XLC. And let me show you why. Let's come here. So if you take a look here each time, the last two market bottoms for the XLC have all happened at about $40. So XLC gives you another option. Now let's take a look. Semiconductors. You guys, I know you guys love the semiconductors. I do too, right? SOXL gives you more exposure to the semiconductor industry, right? SOXL, right? It's a three times lever ETF. SOXL was at a high this year in January of 74. It's coming back into a demand zone. I do think that it will get down to about seven bucks again, um, $7. So for those that missed this, like for people that was looking and like, oh my gosh, it hit seven and then went to 14, that's 100%. Understand that was just a what? Lower, lower low, lower high, lower low, lower high. You have to understand the bigger the time frame, the bigger the move. So we're on these weekly and monthly time frames. It takes time for this stuff to play out. So you're looking here, right? This thing could come to about five bucks, come to less than $5. But if you like semiconductors long-term, you really have to be paying attention to the SOXL. AMD. AMD has struggled more lately than NVIDIA has. Pay attention. Please pay attention. AMD still has gaps to fill down here at 48, 40, uh, 48, also uh, 44, and then also 37. I know some people are like, yo, you talking about 37, this thing at 64. Understand that price can get down here. When you're taking a look at the monthly time frame, this is why it's important. A lot of you guys are looking at this stuff and just saying, oh man, if you look at AMD in, two, in 2000, it went from nine bucks to $50. It then came down to three bucks in 2002 and never even came back nowhere near $50 till 06. Then from 06 to 09, it dropped back down to $4 and then it did nothing for 10 years. Then for three, three to four years, it went from four to $8. This thing went all the way up here to hitting a high of 165. So the market has cycles. The market has cycles. Understand this. AMD has been around since the 19th publicly traded since the 1970s and it's had little iterations of peaking out right pulling back peaking out and pulling back so amd just went on its greatest run ever as a company and you mean to tell me that ain't nobody gonna take profit think about all the people that's been in this stock since the 90s early 2000s even the 80s they're cashing out right now so you have to know your role right 
Everyone wants to be the investor that makes all this money, but no one wants to be invested here. Look at NVIDIA. Everybody talks about NVIDIA today. NVIDIA did nothing from 1999 to 2015, basically 2016. It did nothing. Then it went on a run. It pulled back when COVID came. And then it went on another run. And now it's pulled back. So to kind of give you guys some some levels to take a look at in the video, you guys seen what happened when this thing hit 107. It flew right out of there. But um, price looks like it wants to come down again to give you guys some levels um, underneath 150. It's going to go back to 141. Um, but that's kind of where we're at with it. It's still in the process of making lower lows and lower highs. So, you know, these are kind of like my company, you know, kind of company rundowns, you know, that I pretty much wanted to highlight and pay attention to you know we could talk about apple um here we are with apple guys right it takes a lot of money to move this thing so understand that but apple has a path if it gets below 130 coming down to 127 then 124 121 after that it could probably get all the way down to 112. um i don't think my like like i said my opinion is if the mark if the qqq if my opinion is that the qqq goes to 237 you best believe that Apple's going to have something to say about that. So Apple's performance will definitely uh, be the telltale sign of what happens when it comes to the QQQ, right? So looking at Apple, man, understand that if Apple starts to fall and then you take a look at a name like a Microsoft, which actually Microsoft is a little bit further off of its 52-week uh, low at 213 here. But still, Microsoft wants to come back down again. It's still in the process of making lower lows and lower highs. So understand Understand, like a lot of times people are looking at the gains, but you got to look from 01 to 2014. Microsoft ain't do jack nothing. That's 13 years of jack nothing. Or you can have a different perspective. I look at the jack nothing as, right? You bought some here. 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 You really 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 bought some more here. You really bought some more here. Next thing you know, you went from one share here to now you have 5,000. Now you went up and you caught this whole run. The thing is, is that everyone wants to be in when the price is this. No one wants to actually do the hard work of actually investing. So you guys got to understand, not every year is the market going to make an all-time high, but you don't want every year to make the, mar the market to make an all-time high. You actually want this to happen. And I get that some people don't understand what I'm saying, but you actually want this to happen right here. You actually want this to happen. You actually want this sideways action to happen because this is what can allow you to build a position. Some of you guys are wanting to just buy in 1995 and then you want to just have a, you know, a measly 50 or 100 shares. And then this thing in, two, in 1999, five years later, you made a little bit of money. You need to be focused on accumulating. Accumulation is, is important. So I really wanted to highlight that. Now, a couple more of my picks. This is one company that actually has done fairly well this year. Um, you know, DE, uh, Deer and Company. This is a company that's actually done fairly well, not just this year, um, but actually over the past five years. And it's actually been able to, you know, keep its head above water throughout this, throughout not just the pandemic, but also interest rates being raised, et cetera. So uh, DE, this would be one that I would tell you guys uh, still making higher highs and higher lows, uh, performing pretty well. Had a rough time in April and May of this year, but it's battled back. So this is one that I want to put on people's radars, um, you know, that I'm looking at for longer term investment. And, you know, I pretty much gave you guys pretty much, you know, everything that I could. Um, Samir, we talked about Amazon. We talked about, you know, different companies, you know, that we were looking at. Uh, but I think the moral of the story is um, you take a look at the art. Like I said, we'll take a look at the ARK ETF again. For those that are like, yo, I want to take a chance on growth stocks, but I don't want to buy all the growth stocks individually. This may be something for you to research 
at and say, okay, how much exposure do I have to XYZ company that's here, right? So I definitely want to, um, you know, highlight that. So yeah, man, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up here. I want to throw it back to my brother, Samir, before we close out the show to give any parting words. Yeah, look, I want to I wanna thank everybody here. I saw it. We peaked maybe like almost 500 people in here. And it's just, it's amazing what Mark Monroe, you're doing with the Come Up series and Lawrence. And Mark, I've heard so many great things about you from Lawrence. So shout out to the brand you guys are building. I appreciate Mark. I've, I've seen your journey and how you've been very transparent with the venture capital space and what you guys are building on the VC side. Really amazing what you guys are doing, man. So kudos to you, Mark. Um, I think overall, guys, you know, if, if you kind of like the content we spoke about, I said you can, you know, I've, I've gotten a few DMs here, but you can find me on Instagram, which is at S-A-M-E-E-R dot S-A-W-A-Q-E-D. So you'll put that in the chat or just go to my YouTube, The More We Know podcast or on Apple or Spotify. You'll see it there. I can, I'm, I'm open to connect with people on Instagram, on uh, the podcast, on Apple, Spotify, whatever. If I can, if I can provide any value in any way please let me know. But this was great. Remember guys, always do your own due diligence. Even the smart money messes up. Um, Even like the FTX, like some of the biggest investors messed up in that situation. So always do your own research. Got a super sticker. That's what's what's going on. That's what's up. Um, So appreciate you guys. Lawrence, thanks for everything you're doing, man, as well. And uh, definitely would love to come back. Definitely, man. So definitely give Samir a round of applause. We appreciate you guys tapping in tonight. Um, this is your number one destination on Monday night for everything Wall Street related. So make sure you guys tap in 8 p.m. Uh, EST, 5 p.m. PST. And next week, we have our brother, Coach Gene Austin. Coach Gene Austin will be on. Um, he's going to be breaking down businesses on how to buy businesses, how to get your businesses bank ready um, so you can get proper business funding. Um, and so we're going to have him on next week. And so hopefully everyone has a Merry Christmas. This show is just getting started. Uh, We got some things lined up after that show. We're going to be talking about the job and labor markets and getting you guys in different career fields. So we got a different a lot of stuff packed in here, man. We're going to be talking about these stock markets, but we also going to be making sure that you guys are educated in different areas of life as well, too. So we appreciate you guys for tapping in for another episode of Monday Night Take. And we thank Samir for his expertise. Thanks, guys. You guys. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care.